we're going to look at Noah tonight. And I don't know if you like, you ever, anybody ever heard of the game Cluedo? Yeah, you heard of the game Cluedo. And it got these clues, who did it in what room, and was it the candlestick or whatever it was. And we all like a wee bit of mystery like that. I didn't know different than the rest of us. I like a wee bit of mystery, finding clues and, and finding things out. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen a film that was made back in 2004. Nicholas Cage is the lead actor, and it's called National Treasure. You ever seen that film? No? Maybe so, yeah, some Ross has. Well, it's a story where um, there's this guy's historian, and he's an American, and he discovers that written behind the <coughs> American Declaration of Independence, a big document's kept behind armored glass, that written in that, in secret ink, there's a set of clues that if you follow them, will eventually lead you to a vast treasure left years before. And bit by bit, he, he managed to get, you have to use special spectacles to read it. It's a real adventure film, and there's no bad language in it, and it's quite a good film. And, um, and as he goes to the next clue, that, he finds a place, and in that place, there's another set of clues. He has to go somewhere else. So he's tracking all over America, Finding more clues and more clues, and eventually at the end of the film, him and his friends come across the last clue, and there's this massive, amazing treasure of gold that dated the way back to the, the Egyptians, and it's a really good film, a bit of an adventure. And you know, sometimes um, the Bible is a little bit like that. It's filled with clues in the Old Testament. There's lots of clues that, if you're looking, lead you along to the New Testament. And if you, any of you guys were here uh, whenever you looked at Adam and Eve in the Old Testament, I'm sure too you found there were clues that pointed forward to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And so you find as you read through the Bible, and you read through characters like, uh, like Adam and Eve, like Noah, as we're going to do tonight, like Daniel, like Ruth, Abraham, David, as you read these characters in the Bible, you find that it's not just a story about Daniel, it's not just a story about Abraham, but something about their life reminds you, or is a picture, if you like, of what's going to happen in the future. They're like clues in National Treasure. They're like clues in Cluedo. Mm. But all the clues are there in the Bible, but they're only there for people who actually are interested in finding the truth. You know, some people don't bother reading the Bible. They're not interested in Christianity because they're just not interested. They want to do their own thing and live through life and buy stuff and get more money and do things they want to do, but they're not interested. And if you're not interested in looking, you know, the Bible says, them that search for me will find me. And God doesn't make himself hard to find. All he asks us to do is to take a step in his direction. So we're going to take some steps in his direction, as we see what clues about Jesus did God give us in the story of Noah and the flood. So, we'll read a few verses anyway. It all happens way back in Genesis chapter 6. Right. <clears throat> way back in Genesis chapter 6. And actually it starts in chapter 5, but we'll pop back there later. And in chapter 6, you remember the story of Adam and Eve, the garden, cast into the garden. People begin to increase. It's more and more people. The population there starts to grow. And people aren't getting any better. You remember Adam's 
son killed his brother, Cain and Abel, and just things didn't get good. Very soon things were very bad. And in fact, the Bible tells us, when men began to increase in number on the earth, this is verse 1, and daughters were born to them, and it goes on to tell us about these these uh, people who started to produce uh, men of renown and so on. But it goes on then in verse, in verse 5, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But, verse 8, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. So, now, the amazing thing about the story, there's a whole lot of very intriguing things in this story of Noah. And, and one of the intriguing things is something we didn't read there, and it happens in chapter 5. Now, if you look at chapter 5, if you have your Bible, what you will see is, if we can look at it, for example, we come in there, um, let's say verse 4, for example, when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh, and after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters, and so was too, and so and so had so and so, so and so begat so and so, and so and so has a long list of family names, and you sort of go, do I have to read this in the Bible? I mean, does God want me to read all this stuff? Because you sort of think, well, why has God put all that in? But there's a reason God's put all this in. There was a man, and his name was Enoch, and you see, he happens uh, about verse 23 or so. In fact, verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Does anybody know anything about Methuselah? Could you tell me something about Methuselah? Hmm? You know what he was? That's right. <laughs> that's right, that's exactly it. He's the oldest man according to the Bible. Anybody have a go at it? That's a good, it's a good guess. You're about 100 years out, but that's good in this case of things. 969, but you made a good stab at it. Methuselah lived 969 years. Now we're going to come back to that in a minute about how he could live so long, but in the meantime, that's really interesting because here's the thing. There's a man called Enoch, right? We read about him just a minute ago, and he had a son, and the son's name was Methuselah, the oldest man in the Bible, 969 years old. He lived. Now, what's your name? Matthew. Matthew, do you know what your name means? That's right, that's what that means. What's your name? Daniel. Daniel, oh, do you know what that means? I think it's called as my judge. That is exactly right. And my name is, is Ivan, which means Ivan the Terrible. No, it doesn't. Ivan is, is Russian. I don't know why I Ivan. It's not a good time to be called a Russian name, but that's an odd word. Anyway, it, it's John in Russian, and that means beloved of God. So we, maybe you know what your name means. What's your name? Hannah. Hannah. Oh, I should know that. Do you know what it means? Um, it means grace. That's right, that's right. So your name means something. Methuselah's name means something. Does anybody know what Methuselah's name means? <laughs> Imagine naming your son this, okay? Imagine you're going to call something like, you know, God is my judge, or beloved of God, or, you know, grace, or 
Look at that, they've found a Titan. And this guy goes around with his scientific submarine searching the seafloor for different things. And a few years ago, he was in the Black Sea with his submersible and his team. The Black Sea is the sea off the right of the Mediterranean, spills out through the Dardanelles into the Mediterranean. And he found in the Black Sea, I mean, the Black Sea is really interesting. It's what they call anoxic water. And I'll tell you what that means. It's got two levels of water which never mix. The top layer is, you know, water with oxygen in it. But the bottom layer is very, very deep. Never mixes with the top. And there's no oxygen in it. So it's called anoxic. So nothing rusts. If you drop a nail into the black sea and it falls to the bottom, it will never rust. Because you know you need an oxidizing agent to make something oxidized, right? So, those of you who love your chemistry will know that, right? So, <laughs> if you drop a nail in the black sea, it gets to the bottom, it will never rust. There's no oxygen to make something rot. And he discovered the oldest ship ever found, just two or three years ago. I forgot what the agree I called it or something. And it's perfectly preserved. An ancient Greek ship still has its cargo on it. And in the cargo, there are these glass, there are these clay jars, they're called um, amphores. And inside the clay jars, there's grain and olive oil and all these things that they found on this ship over two and a half thousand years old. And that's the way it was reported in the news. Why was he searching in the Black Sea? Well, you think he was looking for ancient shipwrecks? No, he wasn't. The man who found the Titanic was not searching in the Black Sea to see if he could find some ancient shipwrecks. He just happened to come across <coughs> this shipwreck in his search. Do you know what he was searching for? Maybe you don't know, maybe you do. He had been doing an, uh, an investigation into proving, because there was so much evidence, cultural evidence, that showed there had been a massive flood. And he was showing the evidences of it under the Black Sea. So one of the most world-renowned uh, oceanic scientists was showing by his evidence that there had been a worldwide flood. Isn't that amazing? You don't really hear that in the news much, but that's what he was doing. The boat thing is what caught the uh, imagination of the media, but actually he wasn't looking for boats. He was showing that there had been a massive flood in that area, which is the very area close to where the ark came to rest. Anyway, <laughs> I was going to say something else about them before I don't know why or not. I'm not going to leave it there. I'll leave that out. So, another interesting thing about, about, as you read through the Bible story of Noah and Methuselah and Lamech and Enoch and all those people, I was looking at the East, they to, I mean, come on, serious? 870, whatever it was, years old? You know, 762, what? 969 years old. Honestly, is the Bible right in telling us these people lived to that year? I mean, surely that, that's just, is that, did they just not go? Well, two things. When God sent the flood, he did two things. You read about it. How did he send the flood? Does anybody know how the flood happened? Rained. Does anybody know how long it rained for? 40 days and 40 nights, non-stop. No, we've had about an hour and a half of rain out there and we think we're drowned rats. I mean, for 40 days and 40 nights it rained. It was the first time in the history of planet Earth it had ever rained. Did you know that? It had never rained before. What? No, the Bible tells us that there was no rain. When God created the Earth, 
the, the ground was moistened by a mist that rose out of the earth. That's what fed the plants. That's what Genesis tells us. This was the first time. Now think about it. <laughs> think about this. You're Noah. You're building away at this big ark for several years because God's told you to build it. He gives you the plans. 450 feet long, 75. Right? He's giving you the plans for the size of this ark because this is his salvation and he needs to build this because I'm going to send rain. And people walk up and Noah's building away with his sons and daughters and his wife at this ark. What are you building? This is a big ark boat that God's told me to build. What for? Well, it's going to rain. What's rain? I have no idea. Because <laughs> nobody had seen rain. And, and in faith, this man Noah, the Bible tells us he's a righteous man, I believe God, even though I don't understand it. That's what faith is sometimes, you know, girl. It's believing God because you believe God is right. Despite sometimes how you feel, you just trust in God. So anyway, Noah did this. Never rain. So, two things I tell you. So where did the water come from? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but the water came from somewhere else. The Bible tells us. It didn't just come out of the sky. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that the depths, that the water came out of the depths of the deep. Water didn't just come out of the sky, it came out of the ground. There was two sources of water. This judgment that God cataclysmically brought on the earth came out of two sources. Now, think about it. People live to vast ages. And you think, well, things were different then. Well, things work. I have stuff in my greenhouse that I can get to live all year round. But if I put it in the garden, it dies on me. Because the conditions are so much nicer in the greenhouse. You know when we have autumn and uh, the leaves fall off the tree, it's all very pretty. The reason that happens is because the plants can't survive through the winter with those, with those leaves. So they sort of hold fast for a while and they die off for a while. And it, 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 it harms the tree if you like winter as the, the leaves fall and they have to restart again next year. I was, we were visiting my son in Malaysia, which is on the equator. And they don't have autumn. Their plants are green all year round. Because they don't have fluctuations in temperature. And so the plants busily be green. They don't drop leaves. They, they ask us, is it true that your leaves fall off your trees? We would love to see them. Really fascinated in the idea of autumn leaves falling off. Because it doesn't happen on the equator. You see, the average age in Ireland 200 years ago, do you know what it was? 40 years old. You were dead at 40. Why was that? Because conditions were so bad. You didn't have heated rooms or electric heaters. You lived in very difficult conditions. Men were out working. Women were out working. They lived outside their houses. The women cooked outside their houses. The men worked outside their houses. They only lived in the houses to sleep. And the weather was rough on the average. But our average ages got higher and higher again. Because we live in much nicer. We've got nice warm clothes. We live in warm houses with simple eating. We're well fed. And so it reflects and right. But I want you to imagine planet Earth. Imagine I have a football in my hand, a solid football. Well, let it hover there for a bit. You can just see it. There it is there, hovering. I'll move it to the center. There it is, hovering. Right, just there. There's planet Earth. So, right. I want you to imagine that it's not just planet Earth sitting there, but on the outside of it, there's a football. Like a thin football of plastic. And so our, our planet, if you like, is hovering about inside a ball. That's what Earth was like when God made it. 
and the outside was water. God held the vapour of that had never rained outside earth. So what you have in earth is a perfectly sealed environment. Yeah. Wherever you go on planet Earth, it's going to be equatorial. It's going to be the same temperature. You're not going to go through the ravages of temperature. So it's going to be easier on you as a human being. You're going to live longer. In fact, Methuselah got to 969. He didn't go through the ravages of temperature changes, hard weather, winters, frost, disease, none of those things. They lived in this perfectly conditioned Earth until the day. Now, if this is true, by the way, then if we... If we go to the north or the south pole and dig onto the ice, if this is true, we should find evidence that plants grew there. And that's exactly what they found. They found fossilised trees and coal seams that show that one time Antarctica was a rainforest. Because that's what the Bible says. That, that this water, and God caused this massive, these rings of water, this enveloping to crash upon planet Earth when God decided that our wickedness was so bad that God was going to deal with sin. And it all crashed on the Earth. Not only that, but from underground up came water. Now there was a scientist, his name's Stephen Jacobson. He comes from Northwest University in America. And only five years ago, he was able to prove conclusively to the astonishment of the scientific community that 400 kilometers, 260 miles below planet Earth, there is three times as much water as all of the Earth's oceans put together, trapped under the crust. What is that water doing there? Scientists are scratching their head. They're still trying to work it out. They have no idea. Up to five or seven years ago, the Earth contained water. It shouldn't be there. It's impossible for it to be there. And yet the Bible and God's word stands true and says, yes, of course it's there. That's where God put it back after the flood. And that's where it came from. And that's where the water came from that, that produced the moisture, the moisture in the earth before he brought in the rain. It just fits the biblical story perfectly. And so God brought this water out from the depths of the earth to create this cataclysm upon earth. And it was utterly cataclysmic. You've seen a few floods <coughs> in your life and what it can do to wash soil down. We have no idea of the size of the cataclysm that this happened on planet earth. But it explains this. Anybody do geology in school? No, not yet. Maybe you will. Geography? Geography? Yes, well, let me hear that. 75% of all rock on planet Earth is sedimentary. Sedimentary rock is rock that's produced by the laying down of sediment by the action of water. 75% of all the rock on the Earth was caused by cataclysmic Water production. And the Bible says, yeah, I don't know. That's what God said. So be careful what you listen to, that you, that you hear, and you can trust in what the Bible says. So, anyway. So it comes to this flood. I want to get sort of towards the end of our point now and say this. However it happened, and whatever the interesting and intriguing ideas are of the flood, God brought about the washing away of all human wickedness on the earth by this great judgment. He brought down the rains, he brought up the waters, and he wiped mankind off the face of the earth because he was murdering, he was hating 
He was burning children. He was killing. He was just being violent. What? Our hearts were only doing evil continually, your Bible says. That's all he ever thought of. How can I kill? How can I steal? How can I sin? And God said, that's all I need you for. And God was hurt to his very heart. And he said, no, I can't have it. And he wiped it out. Now I want us now to show how the ark points us to Jesus. Now just a few points. Many animals did Noah take on board the ark. I don't mean the total number, many of them. Yeah, that's, if you're not careful, what you would think. But it's not what the Bible actually says. If you read, they went on in twos, right? The Bible says they went on in twos, but whatever we say about the animals went to do by do, or uh, that's right. But if every clean animal, so a duck or a sheep, for example, which is clean and always allowed to eat it, there were seven pairs. So 14 ducks went on board, 14 sheep, 14 cows, 4 pigs. Because only 2 pairs of unclean animals went on. I'm going to say lobsters, but that would be so about to see. Dogs, only 4 dogs. And people say, well, how come there's so many breeds of dogs? How could they fit them all in? It didn't need to be different breeds of dogs. It just needed to be 4 dogs. Because God had the genetic material for all types of dogs in those 4 dogs. They would change into their different sorts of weather. So if you read chapter 7, you'll see that within seven pairs of clean, two pairs of unclean. So if you said, well, what happens What happens if the pigeon ate the worm? I said, it's no problem. There's any amount more worms. Said the breed very quickly. Anyway, that's just that, by the way. Here's this, a few wee things I want us just to think about. How the story of the ark points us. It's a painting that says Jesus is coming. Here's, here's one first one. The ark was planned long before the flood came. Right, the flood it didn't start to rain, and then God said to Noah, oh, you better start building a boat. Oh, by the way, it's going to take you for three years. <laughs> no, no, that's not, because the rain only lasted 40 days, and the waters come up immediately. God planned, and he gave Noah the plan to build this ark years before the flood came. And remember, too, the people were warned for 969 years, the Bible tells us, we hear this in Revelation, talking about Jesus who's called the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah? Listen to this, in Revelation 13, verse 8, Jesus is the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Now just as the ark was prepared long before the flood happened, did you know that in heaven, God asked his son, Jesus, to die for our sin before the world was made. He had planned, even before Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree and all, even before that, it was planned in heaven that Jesus would die for our sins. That's how meticulous God was in preparing a way out for us. Just as he planned for the ark, so he planned for our salvation. Second point was, I was thinking of, many ways in could you get into the ark? Many ways in, whatever you think. Two, one. Well, one. Yeah, that's right. One. There's only one door. There's only one way in. There weren't several doors. Must be a big door. But anyway, there's only one door. There's only one way in. And does that not remind you of Jesus? Thomas one time 
um, was speaking to to, 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 to Jesus and, and Jesus was saying he was the way so how do we know where you're going how do you know the way and Jesus said Thomas I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but by me you see there's only one way into the ark and, and Jesus himself said he is the only way to come to know to come to God there's no other way you can't be nice you can't join some other religion it is only through Jesus Christ. He's the only access to God. The third thing was I was thinking was, does anybody know who closed the door in the ark? Does have some ropes in the inside? Right, boys, hold. <laughs> Close the door shut. How did you know? You know anybody? No. Yep. Well done. Excellent. That man definitely deserves two sugar in his teeth. Right. Well done. That's right. God shut the door. The Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter uh, Genesis seven that God. Close the door. Well, Jesus said, I am the door. And he was speaking to salvation. He said, whoever enters through me will be saved. Just as there's one door on the ark, Jesus said, he's the only way and he's the only door. He's the only door. He's the ark. He's the only door. God provided salvation for no one in his family, and actually for anybody who believed. But only no one in his family did. And so God has provided Jesus, but he's the only way, his only door. So, and it was only those people who went into the ark who were saved. Now there was lots of people outside, and I'm sure they began to panic once it began to rain. But the only people who were saved on planet earth when God finally sent his judgment after almost a thousand years of warning us, was eight people, Noah and his wife and sons and daughters, they were the only ones who were saved. And you know what the Bible tells us about Jesus? It tells us that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You see, Jesus is the ark. And finally, Almost finally. Once the door was shut, it was shut. I don't know if anybody came and knocked the door. It's raining! This stuff you warned us about, it's happening! I have no way of opening the door. God's responsible for opening and closing the door. And God has shut the door. They could be shouting out, but listen, I warned you for years. For a thousand years we knew God was bringing judgment. For years you saw me building this. But I know, but we didn't believe you. That was it. There was no getting in there. And, and Jesus told a story about a wedding. And in the wedding there was ten girls, bridesmaids if you like, who had to get ready for the bridegroom coming. But five of them were sensible. They had their wee naps trimmed and all. But five of them didn't bother. And eventually whenever the bridegroom came, Jesus tells us, that the, bright, that the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. When God shuts the door to salvation, it's shut. Now, for we, at any one of us, you know, and any of your friends or family, we have come to Jesus Christ and we've believed in him, we give our lives to him and thanked him and he saved us. But someday the door's going to shut. Somebody the door's going to shut. Finally, last wee thing. What do you hear this? Last wee thing. 
Bible tells us on the seventh day, seventeenth day of the seventh month, you'll read this in Genesis 8, then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. Now why does the Bible tell us on the seventeenth day of the seventh month? Why does it tell us the exact day that the ark actually, guided by God, ended up on top of a mountain? And then you know the story of the raven and the, and the dove. And they go out and look, the raven never comes back, the dove eventually comes back when all of them leave. And no one now knows that the flood's over. But, but on the 17th day of the seventh month, they stepped out into a new world. Sin being washed off the planet Earth. Now, come back again, but for this moment they stepped out and sin had been dealt with. God had washed away wickedness. Now, we hear this, the final thing. In the Jewish calendar, their calendar is different to ours. Their months are different. But the seventh month is about April for a Jewish person, Hebrew person. And the seventeenth day is very important on their seventh month in April. It's what they call their Passover. You remember the story of, you know, the Passover? You remember that Jesus was crucified and he rose on the seventeenth day of the seventh month of Abraham. The day that Noah stepped out and sin was done away with and God's judgment had finished and God said, I will never do that again. That's the same day that Jesus rose from the grave. And God had punished Jesus for our sins. And God will only do that once. He's only ever punished his son once for your sin and my sin. He will never suffer again for sin. He has paid all the price for your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin. My sin is <laughs> bigger than all of yours. And I just am so thankful to God. And he gave us all that picture in the story of Noah. And the story, what looks like a nice children's story, and you can have giraffes sticking out the window and all kinds of things in your picture Bible. And yet it's all a picture that says, you know, there's only one way to be saved. There's only one door. There's judgment coming. But the only salvation is Jesus. And there it is in the Old Testament. What a picture. Isn't that amazing? I think it's tremendous.